Andrew Bapper, the T. Water Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making one of his regular appearances. They didn't always used to be regular, but now they are regular appearances in Fangraphs Audio. He's the progenitor of the Zips projection system, currently serves as a senior writer for Fangraphs.com. It's Dan Zimborski. Dan Zimborski is the guest on this program. And in this edition of the program, Zimborski introduces us to the offseason. Uh, of course, part of that a part of that introduction is to review and better understand the end of the 2018 campaign. Zimborski shares some lessons he learned about how to win a World Series, uh, for example, the importance of roster flexibility. Uh, he also shares many more of the lessons he didn't learn about how to win a World Series. For example, uh, that two-out hitting, while ultimately helpful to uh, producing wins, is also not a skill in which a club could rely. A couple lessons learned and not learned in this World Series. Also in what follows, Zimborski speculates wildly on what makes for a capable pinch hitter, considers how well a pitcher could play catcher, how well a pitcher could play catcher, uh, and identifies the distinction but not the difference, the distinction but not the difference between luck and a skill that's just undetectable. He also provides a status update on his Zips projections. Status update on that. Finally, I ask Zimborski, uh, I say Zim, I say Dan Zimborski, do you think there's a chance that people enjoy Fangraphs Audio? Just in a basic way, do you think there's a chance that people enjoy these audio presentations? Here's his mixed response. I think that could happen in very brief instances. More from Dan Zaborski and what follows. However, it is both my pleasure and also my professional obligation to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist. For reasonable sum, readers of Fangraphs.com can support the great work that appears in the electronic pages. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, not unreasonable, but slightly less reasonable those same readers can acquire what is known as an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny and distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership, available exclusively at Fangraphs.com, F-A-N-G-R-A-P-H-S dot C-O-M on the computer. With that advertisement now complete, let us move on our conversation. What is it? It's Fangraph Studio. Who does it feature? Fangraph senior writer Dan Zaborski. And when does it begin? Right now. The recording apparatus is successfully communicating what it is to be with you. Yeah, it's it's capturing my 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 nasally thin yeah. high pitched voice with with clarity. It's it's a condenser mic. It hangs from my ceiling. It's it's very handy. Wait, you have a you have a condenser mic? Mm-hmm. For what reason do you have this this professional arrangement? Well, I'm employed to do these things. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. So it, it's useful to have. I I mean I have a green screen. I could I could film a very weird episode of Sports Center if I had to in in my office. I was not asked to do that. No. No, that's interesting to me that you have that. But uh, I mean, that's very responsible of you. It yeah, sounds like I'm, a mature thing to have done. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm very mature for, oh, God, I'm 40. I'm not mature for my age, but I'm mature for a much younger age. <laughs> I'm mature for a 15-year-old. Do you think that you are actually maturing or do you think that you're static pretty much at this point? I think my stomach's still maturing, but mm-hmm. otherwise I, I think I'm pretty much what I'm going to be. Let's see, Dan Zaborski. Let's get... Oh, Let's serious serious time. About I'll put on my serious voice. Hello. <laughs> now you just sound like um, <laughs> you just sound 
I just said like like the the happiest version of Winnie the Pooh, maybe. <laughs> well, I, I do like pots of honey. No, because someone once told me, you know, to speak from your diaphragm. Yeah. But when I try to do that and make my voice lower, it also uh-huh. changes my speech patterns. It's like yeah. I'm trying to do a really bad Fraser impression. Hello, I'm Dan Zimborski. It, it it doesn't work. Of course, there's uh, I don't know if it's a famous joke. There's a joke uh, from uh, that Steve Martin um, used to tell at the height of his comic fame. Um, and he was, he was just talking about a, a friend he has. It was a woman who was taking a uh, singing class. And he says, uh, um, this perverted old instructor told her to sing from her diaphragm. And then he pauses. He says, that would take years to learn. <laughs> yeah. that's a, I hadn't heard that. That's a good one. Yeah, that's not that's not a bad one. Yeah. Hey, uh, Zaborski, we just had one of these old World Series right here. So I suppose that um, my default setting in terms of watching a World Series is that um, there are certainly, let's see, there's certainly things upon which we can look back and say this was something that was ultimately um, uh, important in terms of deciding the the outcome of the series, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can be very sure of, like it it was a good team that won the World Series and they outscored their opponent in the majority of the games played. Right. I mean, those predictions were right on. And then uh, and Jay Jaffe today uh, for Fangraphs.com, he examined, uh, he settled on eight factors that uh, turned, you know, essentially uh, that were uh, re- relevant to the outcome, right? But yes. these, are, these are not all the sorts of things that a team could specifically count on or could use as a strategy. For example, success in two out situations. Right. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, these that's looking back. It's not really a blueprint for the future. And mm-hmm. I think that that teams, if they look at World Series winning teams and they, if they look at the series and they try to use that as a blueprint for the future. I think that they end up just, you know, winning last World Series instead of the next one. Like, for instance, starters and relief. I mean, that's a good idea, but it also so happened that it was kind of the perfect situation where you needed to have uh, Ovaldi say, pitch a billion pitches in, in relief, mm-hmm. right. or or you need to bring some of these guys back because how the bullpen was taxed. I'm not sure that that is a blueprint. And it's the same, you know, pinch hitting. The Red Sox got a lot of good pinch hitting, mm-hmm. but you can't really plan for pinch hitting because everybody kind of stinks at pinch hitting. Everybody's stats go way down when they're used as a pinch hitter. Really, it's just the guys that you'd like to play otherwise and just hope they pinch hit. So so some of the things that, that gave the Red Sox success, teams can't look at that and say, hey, let's prioritize pinch hitting. Let's prioritize stretching out starters as relievers. Although that could be interesting, but not for this reason. Could you just remind me, and um, uh, and I will, I will serve as a surrogate uh, for... The dozens listening. What is what is typically the pinch hitting penalty? Oh, I don't have it in front of me, but it's pretty large. It's it's like a, it's like 150 points of OPS or something like that. Okay. If you look at every hitter when he's a pinch hitter, because everyone just kind of stinks at pinch hitting. I mean, you even look at like at, at a good pinch hitter, they're, they're not very good. It's Lenny Lenny Harris. Yeah, Lenny Harris, famously he, Lenny Harris. But Lenny Harris also had, at least when he was young, he had some kind of uh, flexibility because he could play second base. He could play shortstop. By the time he was with the Marlins, that wasn't going to happen. Uh, do, do you think there do you think there is a certain sort of offensive profile that would be more conducive to pinch hitting? I, I think almost that comes down to the roster size. I think when you have large rosters, because it's hard to have, say, a platoon pinch hitter, like the left-handed guy or the right-handed guy, unless you're already using them heavily as regular players like when you talk about mitch moreland uh he was a regular player so that he could be from one side of the plate was was good i think you need a guy who can handle 
a wide variety of pitches. I don't actually have any proof of that. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to have, you know, just a fastball guy up there. You probably need someone who has pretty good plate discipline to some degree and, and an ability to look at, at, at some different pitches because you'll have some different looks, uh, depending on why you're going to be used. And, uh, so you think, so, so uh, that's a couple good places to start, right? Uh, plate discipline. I mean, that's not so bad in another type of hitter either, but we're talking about traits that might benefit one specifically in a pinch hitting appearance. Yeah, and, and, and really having some positional flexibility doesn't really help with the pinch hitting, but it, it certainly helps with the roster flexibility to be able to handle different positions. So a player might be more likely to be included on a roster if he's also able to play a couple different positions. Yeah, it's really hard, like like chasing Giambi at the end of his career. He was probably one of the very few players who would have who survived in that role these days. These these days, mm-hmm. because he had very little bit, very limited positional flexibility. He was essentially, you know, a one way platoon pink hitter, and it's hard to carry a guy like that. Was he a was he a Rocky at the end? What was he a Clevelander? He was a Clevelander. He, he was a he was a Clevelander. Uh, he uh-huh. was a Rocky before I think. Yeah, because Cleveland, he was kind of like a half coach, half bad hitter. <laughs> right, that's what everyone's looking for. That, I mean, to be fair, most coaches could probably be half bad hitters too. Yeah, I mean, really, Pete, really, Pete Rose. If you look at the last six years of his career, or so as a whole, was kind of a bad hitter manager. I mean, if you put Alex, I mean, Alex Cora and Dave Roberts could both probably fulfill some kind of. Uh, they could disappoint everyone yeah, uh, on, on the field too. I mean, Lenny Harris was in his forties when he when he played at the mm-hmm. end. Cora's only a few years older than that. He could he could probably. He could probably field. I mean, I don't think I'd play him at second base anymore, but he could probably stand in at at first base or a corner outfield position. Yeah, maybe just first base. But uh, it it would be fun if you were allowed to do that once once all the players were used up, and if there was an injury, you could turn to a manager because I didn't want Eduardo Nunez to to be injured. Right. But I was still hoping for some kind of scenario in which Chris Sale would have to play defense, like in the outfield or something. Would he be your first pick among among like Red Sox pitchers, I guess? Well, at the time when there was nobody left but essentially Chris Sale or Drew Pomeranz, uh, so I was hoping we'd get the, the Chris Sale defense. It would be... Uh, It'd be fun. If you had a pitcher with decent mobility, I, I think you'd have to say that the arm probably uh, profiles to right field anyway, right? Yeah, but I think what they would probably do, which they have done in cases... Is they probably flip him back from left field to right field, depending on the on the hitter. Probably put in. I guess they probably would have moved Mookie into second base. Mookie was still in the game. Yeah, he was still in the game at that point. They'd probably put Mookie in at second. And yeah, and I don't have it in front of me, but I I, I was rooting for somehow Chris Sale to end up in the outfield and then have like the game end with a picture in the outfield throwing out another picture running to the plate. That's a dream scenario for you. And another picture is the catcher too. That would be cool, but that probably wouldn't happen. That'd be that'd be probably the last resort when all your position players are injured and your mm. pitching staff is just the defense. I, I think catcher is probably the one of the last positions you would have the picture at. I think that the from what we can measure of catcher defense, I think that the fielding decline is somewhat precipitous, isn't it? When it's anyone who's not besides a trained catcher. Yeah, it's because a shortstop like. I mean, a terrible shortstop can really hurt your team, but the amount, the number of plays a shortstop has to handle, it can be as few as zero, depending on how lucky you are in those few innings. But even though you can screw it up pretty royally, uh, you, there's a good chance you won't have to handle that many plays. But, you know, a catcher has to handle every pitch. 
So it's definitely the last position. I, I'd, I'd put Chris Sale at shortstop before I'd put him at catcher. The Actually, though, um, it's not uncommon to see a former catcher on the mound. No, because no, Kenley they, Jansen. I mean, yeah, Kenley uh, Jansen uh, caught real games for what? For Team Netherlands, right? And I believe Nero Rodriguez, the, uh, the old Oriole and Blue Jay, I believe he was also catcher at some point, unless I'm thinking of someone else. But it, it makes sense. Because Jason Mott is another one. But it, it, it makes sense simply because, I mean, catchers have pretty good arms. They kind of have to know their way around a pitcher to an extent. They have experience with the whole, you know, pitcher-catcher cooperation type thing. It's just taking a different role. But uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion, essentially, I think we discussed this before, but pretty much any failed prospect that has a good arm, I'd, I'd put them at pictures to see what happens. I love that Jeff Frank. Yeah, at picture. I love when when Jeff Francoeur had that uh had his stint late career as picture because it made sense to try that. I mean, the minors are for crazy things, and yeah, he only got a couple like I think he got one game maybe in the majors as a as a, as a picture, but he he did start like a, well not start, but he did he was like in a dozen games in the minors I think. But I mean, it didn't work out, but it was worth trying. I've also uh I've recently reflected on this, especially with players like um austin barnes and another player whose name i will pronounce badly which is Iser, isaiah kiner kiner <laughs> yeah. i i, I kind of want to make you have to say it, it it's it's, it's like kiner, is it is it falifa falifa, falifa. i falifa, believe okay. is the a proper pronunciation right, all right well, i was always going falifa, to but, uh, I did he get uh he, he caught some games this year and they have another uh the, yeah, the he, rangers have another player in their system named josh morgan who goes Back and forth between shortstop and catcher. Yeah, and if a, if a player can do that, I mean that's pretty valuable because catchers, because you teams have smaller and smaller rosters uh, of mm-hmm. of hitters essentially. I mean, it says it's twenty five, but it's it's more and more pitchers in that twenty five. But mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, there's a significant advantage if you're a catcher because that's the one backup you're always going to have. You're going to have the backup catcher, and generally there's not a lot of overlap. I mean, yeah, the catcher might play a little first base or sometimes third base or corner outfield, but right. you don't really see the catcher middle infielder quite that bit right well but, that's one of the yeah. values that barnes provides obviously yeah and and uh even bj surhoff had some pretty good positional flexibility because i mean early in his career when he was a catcher he, he he actually played quite a bit of third base i'm not sure what he did in the minors i think they used him at shortstop like for a couple games mm-hmm. uh but i mean obviously he mostly played a- as a catcher right. but I, well, Russell Russell Martin, I think. Yeah, Russell more, Martin in recent years has uh, made his way. He, I th- he played. I don't know. I don't think a lot of third base this year, but he played certainly with uh, the team lacking Josh Donaldson, who himself had previously donned the tools of ignorance. Dan Zaborski. Yeah, I, lo- I, lo- I love that. I love that term. It, f- it feels very retro and like classic. The tools mm-hmm. of ignorance. You can see someone like some historian saying, and then and then the catcher and Ernie Lombardi with the. Tools of ignorance fought against the foes of injustice or, or something like that. But, but to get back on track, I mean, Austin Barnes, he can play second base. I mean, you wouldn't want to really, you know, have him as the starter for a season, but he can credibly fake second base. Right. And really, if there was a lot of injuries, he probably could credibly fake shortstop well enough to. I mean, I don't know if he would go deep in the hole, obviously, but when you're playing your catcher at shortstop, you don't have like a lot of standards. But I mean, probably more than a Molina. He could he could fake yeah. shortstop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, he, listen, Zim, Zim. Yes, you stop talking for a oh, second. Okay, that that's hard for me to do. <laughs> what I want to say to you is this: <laughs> is that we have arrived at this juncture by way of a digression, which is 
fantastic. I invite digressions. However, I would also like us not to lose sight of the source material for this particular digression. Oh, baseball. Well, that and also a conversation <laughs> of uh, the World Series, which is recently concluded. And and I I was inviting you to think, well, you had sort of anticipated my question, right? Which was, we were reviewing those things, which obviously played a large role in the outcome of the series, but which one could not necessarily rely on as a as a blueprint, right? Yeah, that's we were on there, I think, a while ago. Sort of incidental thing or, you know, circumstantial things like, um, yeah, like two out hitting or, you know. Um, or Kevin I mean, Jansen you, having a problem. Right, yeah. And you would, th- things you would not necessarily anticipate given established track records. But because what, like, like, like even like, like Clayton Kershaw struggling, it's not something you can work around. You can't plan it because you got that far with Clayton Kershaw. If Clayton Kershaw stinks in the playoffs, it's not like you have some other like secret plan. It's just that you're going to lose some games because you need Clayton Kershaw. He's part of your win condition, essentially. Uh, right. Getting yeah. Those startings. Although you could also say, I mean, and this does not necessarily apply to him, but maybe it does to like a compromised Chris Sale. Um, although he did not appear to be very compromised um, in the final inning of of Game Five, but talent or you know true talent level is something that is not static, right? It's it's constantly changing, and if you have a, an injured pitcher in particular, then his talent level could be significantly different in the postseason than it was at, you know at points during the regular season, just by virtue of the fact that he's not uh, physically capable. I mean. And or a version of that was like, I don't know, Ken Giles during last year's postseason, right? Yeah, that's one of the things about projections that because it's kind of an abstract concept, like some kind of true talent, uh, because it varies so much. And not only does it vary so much is we never really get to know the right answer. Mm-hmm. You never really get to know if a guy who hits 300 was a lucky 280 hitter or an unlucky 320 hitter. I mean, yeah, you can look at things with like you model batting average and balls in place, but you never really know. If you're right or not, we're actually you're guessing the result and you're kind of guessing what actually for what actually happened from I don't even know how to word that. But it's a lot of guesswork. and You never really get to know the right answer, uh, which is you're hopefully quite, and hopefully you're guessing in the most responsible way possible. Yeah, no, no, That's no the drunk idea, projecting. Right? Yeah, but you never, really, <laughs> you never really get to know. I mean, there's no mystical answer or number floating out there for mm-hmm. like what percentage was chris sale worse uh this world series well, who knows does arm? zeus does yeah. zeus know with the judeo-christian I, I, god <laughs> I, I i don't know do they have authority over probability i guess well, they that do. you're not asking probability you're asking actual ta- yeah. talent any any time that the pitcher in question is out on the mound like he's working he has like and it probably varies I mean, it could vary pitch to pitch, right? Certainly, yeah, it could. It certainly changes throughout the course of a game. Like, what is his true talent ERA this moment? Yeah, and I think there's a difference between when you're cruising, mowing down batters like Joe Kelly did, or you're having a long inning. When you're in one of those, you know, those 35 pitch innings, uh, what the true level of ability is. I mean, you don't you don't really know that. Even the the pitcher doesn't know it. The manager doesn't know it. So we're you know we're just trying to you know stab fog. We don't know. Let's see. From what we could tell. The the actual presence of real clutch skill is not, from what we could tell, it is not rampant, right? Um, I mean, yeah, as as a definable predictive thing, there's not a lot of real evidence for clutch right. skill other than a general ability. Mm-hmm. But it's also possible that there is a clutch skill, but it varies erratically. And I think what it comes down to is is if you, if you can't if you can't pin it down in any way, even if it's not luck, we treat it as luck. Uh, like a coin flip. There's actually no luck in a coin flip. 
whether a, a coin will land heads or tails is from a definable set of physical characteristics. The force applied on the, on the coin, the angle, you know, the height, the direction that you're launching it. it it's predictable. They, they, they've made coin flipping machines that can flip a coin and have it come up the same way every single time. Mm-hmm. But if you're unable to control that luck, if you're unable to influence it in a way that it's actually predictive, then you might as well treat it as luck. And I think that that's what happens is, is we call a lot of things luck that aren't really luck, but it only makes sense to treat them as such. That's uh, a, you know I, what? You're making a, you're making, this is the rare case of making a distinction that is also a difference. I, I appreciate it, Dan Zaborski. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. No, you're right. That's a, it's a, it is a great distinction to make, I guess, even if it, if it's not really a difference, but it's the point is that some things you have to treat as a product of fortune because it's for all intents and purposes, it's the same thing as a sort of um, unpredictable skill, right? That's Yeah, um, and it's there's something a lot more fun that way. I mean, obviously, let's say I could write a projection system that, that nailed everybody like 100% of the time. I mean, obviously, it's completely unrealistic, but for this exercise, assume I could do that. It would be so boring to watch baseball at that point. It's fun to see these things. It's fun to be surprised. It's fun to not know some things. Like, was Manny Machado really just the worst player this this series, or was he, or did he have some bad breaks? There's something kind of romantic about not knowing everything. As a brief aside, um, regarding Manny Machado's conduct during the postseason, I I, I don't think that it's really going to change, say, his contract or anything, yeah. because he's had some very public run-ins before, you know, with Royals, with Blue Jays. Do you think the fact that this just was uh, on a larger stage uh, than? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think. I think it, the public pays more attention to it. I don't think front offices are going to change what they would or what not. Uh, it's not like that a team that was planning to offer, say, up to, say, $280 million is now thinking, well, we're only going to do $260 million. I don't think I don't think that factors into it at all. Uh, okay. Well, then, all right. Uh, so let's. I just want to ask you one more question about this, this matter of true talent, right? Now, as you've noted, for all intents and purposes, there's not anything such thing as, such thing as clutch skill. It, it could, could be a, uh, something which does exist. However... Simply because we're not able to identify it means that we treat it as something that that doesn't exist. But but here's what I want to ask you: Do you think that there is that there are moments when the player is true talent, and we've just discussed this how it can vary wildly from moment to moment? Like, what do you think is the is the peak of a player's true talent in terms of if you want to express it in like in this one moment, this player is like a 15 win player? Like, do you, do you think that that ever happens? Does like a very healthy version of Mike Trout or something? I think that could happen in very brief instances. Uh, I mean, you're feeling well, the game is right, all the conditions are right, because, like, if I think about things I can do well, obviously I do nothing as well as a Major League Baseball player plays baseball, Yeah. but, like, if I'm playing something on the piano, there's some variance between how well I will play things at certain times. Sometimes you just feel it. I, I think there are times where probably that talent level is extremely high, even for an average player. Uh, like, Steve Pierce says, no, it wasn't trout level last night, but it was probably higher than it normally was. Yeah, right. Uh, and I guess, I mean, to, to some degree, we have to what reverse engineer it, right? Yeah. But um, I don't know. Do you think Steve Pierce knows that he's going to be much better than, than usual in that particular game? Do you think, I think it's hard to it say today? because usually what happens is you ask people how they feel after what happened. Nobody yeah. asked Steve Pierce before the game, do you feel like you're going to have a historic game tonight? <laughs> I mean, from a scientific standpoint, again, we talk about the science a lot. That would be a, a nice thing to ask everyone how you play today. <laughs> but there was act- there was actually a, a, a Nintendo game where you could do this. It was called Legends of the Diamond. Okay. And it was it was kind of weird because it was 
like a Japanese game company's vision of who the best players in baseball history were. So in the game, you had like Babe Ruth and Willie Mays, but you also had Bobby Richardson and Bill Freehan, which is a kind of a weird blend of players. Yeah. But you'd ask them in the game, you could click on them when you were making your lineup and they would tell you how they felt today. Like Joe Torre was in the game and Joe Torre tells you, I feel great today. And his ability would actually be better. But they don't have that in real life. So I think that there should be some sort of like like double blind study where they ask players how they feel before every game. Mm-hmm. Or to or to be very uh, careful, maybe we make it a triple blind study. What do you think? Yeah. We, or yeah, the results blind too. Uh, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Put in a time capsule. But no, I, I, I think that because, you know, all the teams that seem to win the World Series always have great chemistry, but they never ask teams how much chemistry they feel they have in March. Or how great they feel. Yeah, or I, I mean, typically, the, I mean, there probably are some reports on that, and it's probably. Oh yeah, but it's all the you know that you don't have like a systematic thing. Like I'm sure that the Giants felt pretty good at the start of the year. Like, hey, we're going to bounce back from 2017. We made some big additions. Uh, we have Andrew McCutcheon. Bob be, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm sure that the Giants felt better than they did at the end than they did at the end of the season. I'm, uh, I'm sure the Phillies felt way more clutch and had a better team atmosphere in May than in September where they lost most of their games. I, I, I think that kind of thing tends to be mostly explained in the but past. What, I would like to know which team had the best chemistry relative to its record. That, uh, that's actually, I feel like that's the one on which I'd feel most at home. Yeah, like that, that doing, would that'd be fun. We're I, doing badly, but uh, does anyone want to grab a burger? I, I think the White Sox probably had pretty good chemistry this year. What what uh, what leads you to that conclusion? Or that, it, uh, it seemed you know? like a, it seemed like a positive atmosphere there. Yeah, okay, yeah. You know, usually when when there's a hundred team losses and you get the reports of like teams fighting with each other and dysfunctional front offices, but uh, the White Sox it went pretty smoothly. They had a... <laughs> well, no, I, I, that sounds like kind of mean, but. There, there were no, as far as I remember, there were no big reports of like team veterans fighting each other. I mean, uh, like Jose Abreu, he's the kind of player who's like, you know, a veteran player, mm-hmm. uh, having some struggles early on on a losing team that there might have been some friction on a lot of bad teams, but everyone still, still, you know, loved, love Abreu. Do you, do you think it has, uh, anything to do with expectations, maybe? Yeah, uh, expectations does have a lot of a lot of part of it, but it would be fun to be able to see some of these things studied in a more scientific, systematic manner, mm-hmm. uh, just with you know polling or just to get because it's it's hard to figure out what's real and what is just you know people just looking at it in, in hindsight because you know it 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 seems like God loved all the winners. You don't really see very often uh, someone striking out four times and saying and like you know flipping off the middle finger to the sky or something, right? You don't, you don't. You it don't doesn't happen that. that often. Right, no. Okay, so one question here then. Um, and again, this is all broadly connected to almost the very first words out of my mouth to you, which is what you saw during the World Series. Was there anything that you thought that the Red Sox did, for example, or even the Dodgers did, that was um, that particularly lent themselves to a competitive advantage? I, I think that the Dodgers did a lot of these things too. I mean, they did win their series to get to the World Series. Sure. 
Uh, they were only losers at the end. Uh, they were winners up until that point. Uh, I think you saw a lot of the value of flexibility and a lot of value of having good players on the bench because you look at the benches, there were very few players that were kind of the, you know, the no hit shortstop backup that you sometimes see. Everybody kind of had a purpose on that roster. Uh, uh, Steve Pierce, uh, David Freeze, they had a lot of choices. Uh, and I think choices are, 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 are useful when you have legitimate choices. You don't have, like, say, an Alcides Escobar. And I think it's also important to be flexible with, with your pictures. I don't know that every one of the, you know, the, uh, the unorthodox decisions were good in the end, but they were thinking about it. And there was no, what, no Brad Ausmus type of managing where, you know, you put a picture in in the seventh inning because it's the seventh inning and that's where that picture pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, there seemed to be a lot of thought about, how to leverage some of these pictures. And I think it's more important, obviously, over a short series because I think if the Red Sox or the Dodgers manage like this in the regular season, the players would all be exhausted by, you know, May. And uh, I, I do think that that it is good to see a team, say, pull a starter that isn't needed and maybe bring them back a game later. I think that's... And, and to not be afraid to mess up your rotations. Evaldi, I mean... Ivaldi was 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 huge for the Red Sox, and even though he got the loss, I mean nobody cared they got the loss. Everyone thought he did a great job. The Dodgers were were uh, uh, effusive in in praise for him. Uh, so I I do think I do like the trend of using starters in a more flexible role. It doesn't necessarily have to be bullpenning or or any of that 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 kind of nature. I I think that it's just a continued reimagining of how we treat pictures as roles because again. These weren't handed down on on tablets at some point. How pictures were to be used, even if they even if they were uh, handed down. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess if there was a tablet a that was very baseball specific, I guess we probably would listen to it. <laughs> I mean, if you looked in the Old Testament and there was actually <laughs> baseball specific information, like you know, thousands of years before baseball existed, at, right? You, you probably would like if it. I mean, if the Talmud talked about you know. Picture, starting pitchers must go seven innings or <laughs> or you all have to get circumcised or something. Uh, yeah. There was a lot of circumcision in the Old Testament. Yeah, well, I mean, wait, would you have to get if, – if one of the players or if any number of players were already circumcised, would they have to be circumcised again because there's only so much – I guess they had to be like – I have like a skin graft and then be re-circumcised. <laughs> I, I, I'm not quite sure. That because there were, be... there were a lot of stories in the Old Testament. You know, the Israelites would conquer a people and then yep. would circumcise them. Yeah. Which, which seems like a, a curious thing to do. But no, if there was baseball-specific information, I, I think at that point I'd listen to it. You'd probably listen. Yeah. But I, I, I like flexibility. I like imagination. And I think there's always room for imagination in baseball. Okay. Now, I, w- I would like you to employ your imagination uh, and direct it toward another topic. You're actually going to be of some legitimate help here. I hope that. <laughs> oh, that, that, that doesn't that's, startle you. That sounds like a rarity. Uh, <laughs> have you received these messages uh, that I've published on our on our Slack channel regarding the f- the free agent uh, list that we're going to be publishing? Yes, I have. Okay, we were good. going to talk about it in the staff meeting. I thought we are so. going to talk about it in staff meeting. Yes. Now, unlike uh, the person who previously held the title of managing editor, I I, I suffer from I suffer from a lack of imagination. Um, at least where where baseball is concerned, I, I feel as though my dreams are vivid, but it's not. It my my dreams do not help us uh, uh, put together a free agent. Yeah, my dreams my dreams do not help us either. No, we have taken a, we're taking a more collaborative effort this year. Kyle mm-hmm. McDaniel is responsible to some degree for crafting some of his own projections. Of course, uh, Kylie um, 
has a number of contacts in the industry, so he's perhaps able to uh, rely on that. He's ranking them, however, according to how he would theoretically compensate them, and so that's also fine. We are going to pull together a crack team of Fangraphs authors, however, to provide the uh, essentially the capsules that accompany the rankings. Are, are we wearing matching like outfits like, like cat burglars? Yeah, that could be part of your experience. Okay. Dan, I cannot promise that that your colleagues will participate in it. Oh, because, uh, you know, there there are limited uh, situations where you can wear a balaclava. Mm-hmm. And I'd kind of like to if it involves something that's Yeah, you, again, again, this could be something that you do. And maybe, um, maybe your colleagues will say, oh, yes, that's what we're doing too, Dan. Um, it's called condescending. Nobody, nobody ever even bothers to condescend to me anymore. They just say, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. So uh, does this seem like the right way to do it, to do this? What I was thinking was um, everyone could call 10 names, maybe like five from the first 25 top free agents and five from the from the second group, you know, like 26 through 50. And uh, because sometimes the latter capsules would be a little bit shorter, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, because people do not necessarily care. They don't care as much about Zach Duke. Uh, as they do maybe about Manny Machado, for example. Well, you know who cares about Zach Duke? I bet Zach Duke does. Sure he does. Yeah, but I would say that his uh, his appeal to... I mean, he's a Duke. He can throw you in the Tower of London or something. Yes. I think that's how it works. That's a good point. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, he might have had to abandon some of those when he when he gained American citizenship or something well, he's earlier a, in his memory. Well, he's a lower-ranked uh, left-handed reliever than Ray King, who, who outranked him. <clears throat> that's true. I mean, uh, there's one thing. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, well, you could do it uh, sort of like all uh, British noblemen uh, team. <laughs> certainly, certainly Ray King and, and Zach Duke would be part of it. Is there anyone in the last name Dutchie? Uh, I, I I don't believe so. Uh, uh, Vice, 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 Roy, Vice, Roy, <laughs> Vice Roy Jones. Vice, well, yeah. Uh, Roy, uh, let's see. There must have been a certain Roy. Vice Roy okay. Campanella. Uh, that would be uh, uh, Okay, uh we're going to tell okay, Craig Kimbrell, your nickname's now the Marquis. Well, Marquis Grissom, we of course we had. Oh yeah, we have we do have Marquis Grissom. Jason Marquis also was a pitcher. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that he was not he was a lesser Marquis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well not from one of the uh, the more important uh, areas of the kingdom. But listen, first of all first of all, we've done it two ways in the past, in terms of just crafting a list total, right? Mm-hmm. We've done it one way where we said we will let the market dictate how many players we feature right so we'd pick like a you know kind of predetermined amount players that we suspect would get something be worth like more than a win or something right mm-hmm. and we'd kind of use that as a number or and uh, we've also done it where we pick we say 50 that's the cutoff regardless of the quality of the market do you have a preference dan zimborski i actually think in this case doing a set number is fine because then you're kind of spending time where you're thinking about players thinking about the parameters of your piece Mm-hmm. And so that's so you're actually doing analysis to arrange the length of a piece. And I think that that makes it a, like a kind of a waste of effort. I think people like content and they want to see X amount and people are comfortable with those little lists. OK. And I, I don't think there's a problem with lists as long as they're not, you know, one. Well, every, yeah, show. it's nice to have uh, the top 50 or whatever free agent list is, uh, I would say, very useful for creating some sort of organizing principle for entrance into the offseason. Right. Mm-hmm. You say I here so. we, these are the players that we're going to be looking at. Yeah, um, I think that's, I think it's just easier, uh, just especially in a collaborative thing, because then you'll have disagreements over where to cut it off. Mm-hmm. But everyone can kind of agree like fifty. I, I think that's that's a situation where it actually is a little. Some of the structure is is good. 
And and one plan that uh, one idea that Kylie floated, and I think it's uh, not a bad idea, is that if if there are other players we'd like to include, we can include them, but more in a list form, right? Yeah, we and, could have like every every writer could have like their guys who could be on this list or something. Oh, that's also good. That's a great idea. See, you've uh, you've contributed something of real value, Zimborski. Yeah, that sounds. Maybe I meant something else. That sounds a little suspicious. Well, <laughs> the um. I mean, we might not use the idea, but it's a good it's a good idea. Players who could be included. Okay, that's fine. Just like everybody has their own, and that way there's no expectation that they fit like right into the structure of the top fifty. Yeah. How about yeah? We could say the player I would include on this list. Yeah. Each each person could have one. Yeah, and if someone doesn't have one, they can do someone they would exclude or something. I don't know. Well, that's also a very good idea, Dan Zaborski. You are you know you do have some value. I don't care that's... what I don't care what thousands of our readers say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's I think that's not bad, and uh, we could um, we could maybe bring these ideas to again. We may not use them at all. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna also do some more, you know, some writing also uh, as we as we finish up the elegy series uh, yeah. in the next couple of weeks. I'll also be writing about free agents also, but it'll be a different structure than than Kylie's. Obviously. Well, what's your plan? Uh, well, I I, I want to take more of a team focused effort probably focus on individual players talk about scenarios mm-hmm. teams uh i don't have a specific structure in mind for that like where i you know where i go down everybody but i i, I mean i am going to talk a lot about news and stuff and analysis as we as we get through the how, now how the uh from your perspective how has the elegy series gone uh i've enjoyed it okay I think it's been well received. I don't know how you guys feel about it, and I'm sure after it's done, we can talk about uh, whether it was a good experiment or what to do for next time around. Uh, but I, I've enjoyed writing about it. I think people, I like, I like being able to write about because some of these teams aren't going to be even talked about until you know next winter year. meetings, essentially. <laughs> and so it's fun to have you know the day where the Nationals are talked about and the Pirates and the and the Padres and and so I, I've had I've had a lot of fun with them. Uh, now that you know the season's over, moving a little quicker since it's not fighting with World Series content, which I think was a problem I didn't quite envision that everyone was talking about other things, so it wasn't as good counter programming as I hoped. Right, but it's going to be a slow couple of weeks, so it'll be good content. Bridge, will I it? I hope so. Oh, will it be a? Oh, I thought you meant will it be a good content? No, <laughs> I think it'll. I, I suspect it'll be a lot like last off season. Well, I can report you. It'll be a lot like last off season in terms of uh, calendar. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fairly slow. I think you'll have a couple guys. I don't know who. I think you'll have like a, an initial burst of like a few of the bigger names, but I think it'll go pretty slow after that. Uh, I think a lot of the contours of last season are what we're expecting to see, what I expect to see in the future. And from people I talked to with teams and, and, and some agents, I kind of get the impression that they feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Do you, Is that just a product of teams essentially – now, do you think do you think they really are kind of leaning on players? Do you think that by by waiting, they do think that they will, um, or or I mean, it seems to have been borne out that they'll get. They'll I think there's a little bit of a disconnect now in how players were being valued in the past and are being valued now. Mm. I, I think to a large extent because we talk about uh, dollars per win being linear, and from just a philosophical standpoint, it never should have been linear. You should never be paying the same for one four win player as two two win players. You should be paying a premium for getting it condensed into one because you can't have a roster of 51 win players and go to the playoffs. But the fact is, if you look at a free agency from, you know, not from 1976 to really a few years ago, it was linear. And in that environment, some of these average older players with decreasing expectations, they, they still get pretty good contracts. And I think we're starting to see kind of a, a phenomenon where 
we are going to start seeing wins kind of be almost exponential in a way where the stars get a lot, maybe not a lot more money, but they stay steadily growing and the lesser players fall off fairly quickly. Is that a, is that a result uh, to some degree of um, the the emerging popularity? Uh, not to say it, it hasn't been utilized in, in years prior, but of uh, locking up younger players to longer term contracts. That that contributes. I mean, there's a lot of things that go because one you see because older players tend to gravitate towards you know first base corner outfield, and you you see teams not overvaluing those players anymore. I mean, a few years ago we had an off season where both the AL and the NL home run leader, you know, Mark Trumbo and and Chris Carter got practically no interest in free agency. And that that that's kind of a rarity. So you combine kind of a, a change in the way you have stars are valued compared to regular players and less interest in the one-dimensional sluggers and, you know, more belief in leveraging some, you know, young talent that's cost-controlled. And I think there was a perfect storm kind of that was going to keep these all season slow, and I think overall salary growth is going to be kind of static, at least for a few years. And I know that a lot of people want to say collusion, and obviously baseball ownership is, you know, one of the least trustworthy groups of people in the history of the world uh, when it comes to that kind of thing. But right. I'm, I'm not sure that they're real. I don't get the impression that there really is. And I think that too many people have too many fingers in decisions these days for collusion to really last that long without a whistleblower. Well, you look back to the 80s guys and you really much had like the GM and the owner and that was pretty much it. Right. And I think that if uh um, wait, am I utilizing Occam's razor? It's someone's razor. I don't know if Occam It's Occam. <laughs> is it <laughs> if it's the yeah. Well, there, well, there, well there's there's Occam's razor is the most likely explanation and yeah. one most likely to be true. Hanlon's razor is never attribute to malice what you could attribute to stupidity. Right. What about Tony? <laughs> I might just be using Tony's razor. I might be using my one of my razors from upstairs. Anyway, but what is this? Yeah, it is probably Occam's razor. But um, that it, it's maybe the CBA is not expertly constructed for the players, or at least yeah, older players. That, that, yeah, that's a good explanation, too. I think the MLBPA has a lot of questions to ask themselves about, mm. you know, the structure of how they, how they distribute money. Mm. Because really there's a huge benefit now to being a veteran compared to it. Because you look at... at salary growth for you know rookies it's always it's been about half a million dollars for forever now and just like you know the little upgrowth. and i think at some point they need to look at how to fold in some of these minor league players uh you look at the uh the disputes between uh jay happ and jonathan singleton when the astros wanted to extend him minor leaguers i mean baseball's salary growth and the revenue growth has barely touched minor leaguers and i know minor leaguers aren't part of the union and so like legally they can't you know advocate for them but they can still have a playoff uh, a cba a, a payroll structure a salary structure that benefits some of these cost-controlled players rather than the veterans right uh, but yeah. I, I don't i don't know if they have the the stones for it they well and to... they also it, it, there's clearly an advantage for those talented younger players who are able to who have uh, some financial wherewithal right who are able to uh, who are not who don't necessarily have to sign an extension i mean like i with Manny Machado and Bryce Harper going to free agency, that's clearly the case. And they were both they both benefited, I think, from larger bonuses than other players might have. Yeah. Uh, so there it's I'm I'm very interested to see the next collective bargaining agreement. I'm hoping there's not a there's not a strike because that'll leave a lot of things to not write about. Uh yeah, we would it would be <laughs> We'd be doing a lot of diamond mine simulations, I think. We could we would uh... we, we'd, be, we'd probably become football graphs. Yeah. A strike would be uh right. I mean there certainly hasn't there hasn't been one in the 
Fangraphs here. It would be interesting to go back to, I guess, what, 94, 95? Interesting in it, I suppose, probably a sad way, to examine <laughs> to examine uh, precisely how uh, beat writers and, uh, you know, baseball writers of all stripes occupied themselves uh, during the during the strike period. I suppose you can write about the strike, but... Yeah, there's only so much you can write about the strike. You can't have, like, you know, today's strike, up, strike statistics update. Right, yeah. Uh, and, of course... Um, Probably yeah, they pounded the, the table five times. The attention, uh, the attention of interested readers is probably um, yeah, diverted I, I, at that point. I well. wonder. I, I maybe I could ask. Like, I should probably ask some of the older guys what they wrote about. That'd be interesting. They probably didn't enjoy it, is my guess. Yeah, there's probably a lot of alcohol involved. Yeah. Well, good solution to all one's problems. Uh, I'll tell you one player that will not be included in the free agent list, um, probably wouldn't have been anyway, but is Elvis Andrus. Uh, he appears, as we've been talking to, decided not to opt out of his contract. Yeah, I don't think he I don't think he would have gotten 460. I, I, I think given Zach Cozart's market last year, he's smart not to opt out. What, do you have an opinion on Kershaw? Of course, uh, given my track record in publishing the <laughs> uh, I th- I think episodes Kersh- of the podcast, we might know already. Oh, yeah. Well, we can uh, – that kind of – we we should record like uh, different endings depending on what happens, so that yeah, you what you're uh, like... what you're suggesting is even more labor intensive. <laughs> this is a program that is um, sort of uh, in a constant state of attrition. I suspect in the end that he you, did you just say up... ISIS. What are you saying about ISIS? <laughs> I, sorry, I slur my words, and I've also <laughs> been and I've also been told repeatedly I can't say the words picture and picture as yeah. separate words. Well, I'm less concerned with that. Tell, now, tell me about what you're going to say oh, in, in well, praise ISIS... of ISIS. Okay. Okay. ISIS suspects <laughs> that that Just a little chatting about ISIS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we, we, you we suspect. Talked, we talked about tragic whether their death was tragic last time, so it's it's kind of Dan Zimborski suspects. Yeah, good, continue. Okay. I, I suspect. Sorry, I'm spinning. I I suspect. I can't. I can't get past that word now. I. You I, say you guess. I, I guess. I, I guess. Yeah. That he will not opt out. Okay. But there will be an extension to his current contract. Mm-hmm. To make it look a little bigger, I don't think that the Dodgers would do anything like add like you know two hundred million dollars to the contract. I don't think they're gonna pull what the Yankees did with a Rod, but I think that there's enough uncertainty on Kershaw's side about how how good he is. Uh, I mean, he's a, still a top pitcher, but there's the sheen's come off a little bit. Uh, I think that both sides probably want to come to a deal. Uh, it's it's not a definite thing, but I that's what I believe will happen. More likely than not. Will they add a, a smattering of mutual options to the end of it? Or, or it could be that. Maybe another opt-out in, in a few more years after it. But I, I, I think he'll be wearing Dodger blue in 2019. I am uh, – of course, I'm frequently wrong about such things. I have, I have, tr- I have trouble with years once the baseball season's over yeah. because we're always talking about last season or last year was this year, and then next year will be – the next year until you get to january and next season will be the same year yeah so 2019 is the next season and year the 2000 uh i i'm skeptical about uh kershaw going forward no i don't i don't think it's necessarily good to doubt someone of his talents however uh the the decline in velocity which is something that it's troubling yeah it's it's troubling and uh because that seems to uh, now obviously zach grinke has certainly managed it and and tanana Frank Tanana went from a fireballer to whatever the opposite of fire is. No one ever calls someone an ice baller. I don't think that would. It sounds like something else. I don't know what, <laughs> yeah, it but does. it sounds like something else. Yeah, I suppose you could. Know, I don't know, I think we have velocity numbers for him. But Grinky at his best, I think, sat more 90, 
94, maybe 93. Yeah, he was, he was never a, a, and really Kershaw never threw 99 either. Right. But it, when that, when that, that change in velocity is concerning, cause you know, peripheral wise, his FIP, it was his worst season of his career, I believe, except for his, his half rookie season. And I think that, that is going to be considered by the Dodgers. And the fact is he's only cleared 200 innings once in the last five seasons. I mean, he hasn't had that year where he, you know, throw three starts or missed it completely, but his attendance has been, has been sporadic, let's just mm-hmm. say. Yeah, you can say that. I feel comfortable with you saying that. Yeah. And still, I, I still think, even with his velocity, he'd be a really good pitcher. But I don't think he'd be Kershaw, the obvious Cy Young favorite entering every season like he was uh, from, say, 2011 to 2016 or so. And I think the Dodgers will factor that into the decision. And if Kershaw doesn't believe that there's risk, then I think you might have that, that situation where there's a, not a meeting of the minds and he hits free agency. Let me ask you one final question, which is this. Can you give us a, a projections update? Where a stat a projection status update. Where are we in the projections calendar? Well it look well, we're at the point where I'm I'm putting in all the playoff data because I do use playoff data because it actually helps it slightly. Uh and I think we'll be good to start, you know, in a few weeks before Thanksgiving and and, and give people some some brief respites from family and friends. Yeah. Yeah, get away from those family and friends. And look at the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, well, Dan Zaborski, you fulfilled your obligation to Fangor Studio. I appreciate Woo-hoo! it. I'm free for the day. No. <laughs> Freedom. <Yeah. laughs> well, you don't, you don't have to engage in any more. Uh, oh, there's no more chats. I mean, you, you had one earlier today, but. Yeah, well, we have staff meeting. No more World Series chats, right? We do have, we do have staff meeting. And one of us has to edit a piece by Craig Edwards before staff meeting. Who do you think it's going to be? I hope it's you because no one asked me. Mm-hmm. I mean. Nope. This is how you're being informed. Yeah, and I and I and I'm busy now because I just got an email that's from that says your new standard for clean has arrived. Uh oh, better check it out. Crumbs and dust stand no chance against modern vacuum tech. And Dan I have Zaborski's got a new standard for clean. Um, <laughs> again, I reserve the right to, uh, not to take any of your suggestions. But do you have any? Do you have any for the the title of of this edition of Fingers Audio? I I don't have a contribution to that. Okay. I'm that's sorry. I, I can think. It could just be Untitled Podcast. No, we're not going to do that. Hey, listen, Dan Zaborski, thank you so much. That has been Progenitor of Zips and uh, also Senior Writer for Fangraphs.com, Dan Zaborski. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm -hmm.